Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon trading card games premier podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined as always by my good, good friend, Mr. JW Crewall. JW, how's it going today? It's going very well, Riley. Only one more day of work for me until I can take some break time. <laughs> same here, same here. I am already on set <laughs> at my family's house uh, but i am working remotely while i'm here for a few days it's been it's been really nice and refreshing just to you know be with my family members i i don't get out to see them as as often as i would like to um so the moments that we do have together are, are very very special to me yeah totally i get that it's not very often that i get to be home with with family um at least not with everyone together so yeah. I see like my brother, but not, you know, with my parents or, you know, we'll go over once a year maybe to go see kind of the East Coast people. And that's this time. So I get that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, you know, as we've gotten older as well, it's just harder and harder to get everybody in one place. Right. I'm sure you can empathize with that. Um, but it's really cool. I'm the oldest sibling by a, a decent margin. Um, and, you know, my sisters are just now turning 21 and just now learning to drive, um, or rather just got their license. And, you know, it's really cool as the sort of older sibling to see my sisters sort of blossom and, mm -hmm. um, just have such funny, like positive interactions with each other. They're very like comical and cute. Um, and it's just a very nice, like comforting feeling being with your family, you know? Yeah. That's awesome, dude. So, do you have any Do you have any plans like for the for the season, like to do anything? Like, are you guys gonna go out anywhere, or do you have like a family tradition of like eating at a certain restaurant? Or our tradition always a... used to be that we would go through one of the, we'd go through like the drive through lights at a park mm. um, on Christmas Eve. That was like always the thing that we did every single year. Um, we haven't done that since my family left Ohio. You know, they live in North Carolina now. They used to live in Cincinnati. Um, so we don't really have like a, a true tradition anymore, but we've been having like super good food every night, um, mixture of like cooking and, and eating out. Um, and it's been just, again, like kind of a, a blast to hang out with everybody. Last time I was here, my dad and I binge watched the uh, Wheel of Time yes <laughs> i thought it was good i'm really excited for the next season yeah it was a lot of fun um i think the glass onion comes to netflix soon uh and a couple it was like came out on christmas time i think a couple years ago yeah uh, the original knives out so i think we might watch that together uh because that'll be a ton of fun yeah and yeah like you know like i said it's just a ton of fun being here yeah that's really cool that's really cool. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Riley, and to your whole family. No, you're enjoying you well. that time. But we have a special guest on the podcast tonight. We're going to be talking a little bit about Arlington. We're going to be talking a little bit about the response to Arlington. But first, we should introduce our special guest, top eight finisher at the Arlington Regional Championships, Riley Hulbert. Welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going, Janelle? <laughs> Hey, pretty good. Really happy you could be on tonight. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, it's always a pleasure listening to yeah. me. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh, for those of you that didn't follow us on Twitter, didn't follow Riley's run, he had an outstanding top eight finish. Wish we could have gone just a little bit farther for the group. Um, And there were some uh, unfortunate happenstances to get to ultimately that, that top eight. We'll talk about those in a second. But Riley had quite the run starting out three and two and then winning out the rest of the day, heading into day two at seven and two, and then obviously winning enough in day two to make the top eight. So Riley, walk us through um, what deck you played, and we can talk a little bit about why we chose to play that deck. Yeah, uh, so for the uninitiated, JW, Andrew, and I rolled up with Lugia V-Star Archaeops to the Arlington Regional Championship the big bad deck of the format. Now, if you've been sort of following us along over the course of the last season, uh, you've probably noticed that we've been very Mew-focused, and very rarely do we show up to a tournament with, like, the number one deck in the format. But Lugia has just been shown as the deck for this format, and especially, like, the meta developments were sort of right there. Uh, JW, I don't know if you want to expand more on sort of our logic as we shifted from uh, coming off of Toronto towards Arlington. Yeah, so we had been playing Mew, as you said, Riley, for the last few tournaments, uh, all the way dating back to Salt Lake City. Peoria and too. and yeah, Peoria as well. Um, but so, so a long run with Mew, but I felt, I think, probably strongest of the group, although there was this sentiment among uh, you and Andrew, um, but I felt that there was one card in particular that would be in um, enough decks that would make me scared to play Mew, and that, of course, is Drapion. Now, in Toronto, what was the winning deck? It was Mewtwo V Union Stall. And so Drapion also has this kind of secondary use as just a splashable dark attacker that can one-shot a Mewtwo V Union. So I figured with Stall winning, people might want, you know, there, there's usually some slight meta shift um, to counter Stall. It, 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 sometimes it's not, you know, um, enormous, but, you know, certainly people will keep that in, in the back of their mind when they're constructing their decks. And then... You also have Mew did fairly well in Toronto. You know, we had a, a number of us getting, um, you know, top, Andrew and I getting top 64. There were a number of other players in that top 32 and above um, kind of range there. Andrew got top 32, I think. Yeah. T- yeah, yeah, top 32. And I was top 64. So we were right in the mix there. Um, but I just felt like there would be some real strong presence of from the Drapion from players because it counters the Mewtwo. And then if you play it in a deck like Lugia or you play it in a deck like Lost Box, you can also accelerate energy to it and knock out Mewtwo V unions. So it has that kind of utility. Additionally, I also thought it might be a really good attacker in Lugia for a lot of players just because Lugia had a, um, from our perspective, a pretty bad Mew matchup. Yeah. So all that said, we knew we were not going to play Mew, or, or we had Mew as kind of like the fallback if we just really couldn't find anything else that we felt comfortable with we would play Mew but with the intent of trying to find something <laughs> that wasn't Mew and so we were just really considering uh, three decks Regigigas Lost Box and the arguable 
best second format. Well, I don't even know if it's arguable, but the best second format, Lugia. Yeah, I think that's a pretty succinct summary. Uh, as we progress throughout testing, it started to become more apparent that Lugia was just sort of the deck to play. Um, both Regigigas and Lost Box some, suffered from somewhat similar problems. Uh, Regigigas was really, really struggling to beat Lugia with a Dunsparce and a Mana Fee, uh, and wasn't the most consistent archetype in the world, you know, in of itself. So you can drop games here and there, even against the matchups you want to face, which is never super appealing, uh, even in a best of three format. And on the flip side, you have Lost Box, which, you know, if we looked at sort of the matchup triangle from Toronto, I think Lugia is slightly favored, at least in the Lost Box matchup. Now you have Lost Box players, of course, that'll claim otherwise, but I think if Lugia is playing optimally, is playing the Stoutland when they should be, um, they'll often come away with the win, especially if the Lost Box player happens to stumble off a good Marnie uh, in the mid game. So it started to become more and more obvious to us that Lugia was just the deck to play. Uh, so we wanted to just shore that up as much as possible. Um, so we took the sort of bog standard sort of Lugia lists. We weren't really, uh, and then we decided we have, okay, you know, from this list, we have maybe six cards to work with. And what should those six cards be? <laughs> There's a lot of debate about those six cards. You know, how heavily do we invest in paralysis, for example, versus do we bother playing a Drapion or not from you? Um, where we ultimately landed was we played a 4-2 Lugia line, cutting a little bit into that Lugia. It seems like the 2 V-Star has sort of become the prevailing standard uh, coming out of the Arlington Regional Championship and played a Drapion V. We played a Bird Keeper for sort of a one-time get-out-of-jail-free card with Paralysis. Uh, we continue to play cards like the Stoutland. And then we also played sort of a departure from uh, the... The Toronto standard was we played both Manaphy and Dunsparce. Mm. We thought that really shored up the matchup against some of these like cheesy little weakness decks and as well as shoring up the Regigigas matchup. So overall, like a fairly standard list. It looks not totally dissimilar from how Tord's list looked in uh, the Latin America Regional Championship, but just with a few minor changes. Yeah, I would say the inclusion of the Drapion for us was... Fantastic. I mean, you can talk about your run, but in my run, uh, it's pretty short. I got two wins, and those both happened to be over Mew decks, which <laughs> the Drapion was clutch. So all of my all of my points at Arlington, Drapion was meaningful. Um, let's talk a little bit about our runs. I'll just go over some of my losses. I had a premonition the night before. <laughs> And I told you, I, I told you about it, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, dude. Like I, I was dreaming about Galarian wheezing. Like, I'm just really nervous about Galarian wheezing and Riley just kind of laughs it off. Like, aha, you're just, you always do this, you know, or you're always worried about the worst case scenario. Cause I do tend to just overthink things sometimes and like really, you know, get in my head, especially with, with very unlikely scenarios. But this one, I was just really feeling Oh my gosh. <laughs> For some reason, Galarian Weezing was on the forefront of my mind. And so I go to sit down for my round one. And I'm just like, 
it's so silly for me to worry about it. Like the first round hasn't even started. I bet there's going to be no Galarian wheezing here. And we both flip over our starters and he flips over a coughing. And I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? I'm so pissed. I managed to bring that set like so close. We have a really long game one and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can pull this out. I just need to not have a certain number of things happen. Naturally, all of those things happened. He flipped <laughs> He flipped three for three on Crushing Hammer in game one. If he misses any one of those Crushing Hammers, I win. Um, and he just had like certain attachments when he needed to. He had certain tool cards that, that he, he had the Crobats down, but he, he had the... Um, the poncho on them. So I couldn't boss them up. It was just like all these little things where it's like, okay, well, if I, if I draw into off the top deck here, you know, my, my lost vacuum, then I can boss up the crowbat and I can win the game and take the knockout. Okay. Well, I don't see it. You know? Oh, he, as long as he doesn't get rid of all my energy here, I have a chance to win like two crushing hammerheads plus the fan of waves. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, as long as he doesn't have Marnie here, I have game in hand and he Marnie's immediately, you know, it's just like all these little things. And then, um, Played a couple of Mew decks, and I lost to a Mirror, which was tough. It just, he was able to get two Archeops out, and I was only able to get one Archeops out. Um, and then we had, oh yeah, and then my second, <laughs> my second Weezing deck. But it was an Eternatus <laughs> Weezing, but it was pretty sad. So anyway, my run was very short, cut short by facing two Weezing decks, which is just absurd. But I digress. <laughs> Let's get to the more interesting run. Riley, you made it all the way to top eight. Walk us through just like really quickly, maybe some interesting matchups that you had over the course of day one and day two. You made a very interesting choice, which we really need to talk about in the last round of day one as well. So why don't you walk us through a little bit how your run went and some of the more interesting matchups? Yeah, so I won't go through every single round for you. I, I don't think that's necessary. Uh, by and large, I think our techs though, phenomenally paid off over the course of the weekend. I played three view VMAX in day one and an additional one in day two, and I beat every single one of them. I think Andrew also emerged victorious from every single Mew VMAX that he played as well as yourself. Uh, so the inclusion of Drapion did make a big, big difference. Um, I can personally attest that many of those series I would have lost without the inclusion of the Drapion. Just the, the disruption path combo is so challenging to beat, but you get sort of an extra turn of leeway with the Drapion that is a big difference maker in your games. So, yeah, that was awesome for me. Um, I did start three and two. So in the early stages of the tournament, I had played a Lugia and a Mew. It was two and oh, I was feeling pretty good. And then I hit the... Uh, Arceus Aerodactyl sort of control-ish style deck uh, that Michael Catron played in Toronto, uh, piloted by Michael Perez. Um, and I went second in the series and it was not very fun. <laughs> I got Aerodactyl turn two in game one and game three. Might've been a little bit later in one of the games, but I also whipped, I believe. Uh, so that was just really, really challenging. Um, the fan of wave spam was tough to keep up with. Mm -hmm. And then win another game at 3-1, still feeling pretty good. And I lose a mirror, the Lugia V-Star mirror. It's just really, really brutal sometimes. 
I lose that to Cal Connor in round five. So now I'm three and two. I get pretty emotional uh, when it comes to uh, my status, I guess, in the tournament. So I'm feeling pretty down. I don't think it like directly affects my gameplay, but I get like a really annoying. <laughs> like, you were pretty pissed, dude. It was like, ooh, don't talk to Riley right now. Yeah, I mean, that's. I just get I get in the zone a little bit. I get I get annoyed. Um, so I'm three and two now, and I have to kind of just run it back. Um, and I told JW at this point that, hey, if I make it to six and two, I am not IDing. I refuse to ID at the largest tournament of all time. Um, so that's a good lead up to sort of where I went from there. I played a couple of Lugia decks, a Mew deck, and um, and a Vigable Palkia from there, and beat all of those and at six two. And now I'm at sort of the moment of truth where I can put my money where my mouth is, uh, stay true to my word, or I can ID to guarantee day two. Um, I ended up playing it out. And the reason why is, uh, first, I don't think making day two in of itself offers a lot of value at a tournament this large. Is it possible to make top eight from 6-2-1? Yes, uh, Jacob I actually did do that. Is it very likely that you will do that, especially playing Lugia, where you're very likely to hit many mirrors? No, like you're you're sort of compromising your tournament run by doing that. So mm -hmm. as a player, you have to ask yourself, when I'm in that 6-2 table, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to top eight this tournament, trying to win this tournament, or am I trying to play more Pokemon in day two? <laughs> yeah. For me, I love playing Pokemon, but I'm not trying to play at the regional championship just for the sake of it. I'm trying to win this tournament. Um, and honestly, I felt like going in at 6-2-1, you're honestly shooting yourself in the foot for even making money or anything like that. You know, you're not ha you're not looking great for anything positive <laughs> as an outcome. Well, it's pretty I mean, it's it's really interesting, right? Because you think about the different outcomes you know, of making day two. Okay. That's a, you know, I guess a big deal for someone like a status symbol or something, but think about what happens in day two, half of those players, if there, there were 129 players that made day two, 130. Uh, uh, what's that? 130, 130. Okay. 130 players that made day two, half of those players don't get anything other than a top 128 placement. Like they don't get any extra packs. They don't get any money. Top 64 right. players, you know, they get a little bit of pack, you know, a little increase in CP. Like, it's just such a value, like, decrease, right, to just go for an right. ID. And you could still wind up with only, what, 10 more points than players that got 256, and yet you spent, you know, an additional day of playing. It just doesn't really yeah, add up. It's honestly, not worth like, it. The CP doesn't scale, like, super linearly either. So even if you made right. top 64... I don't really like the, you know, the 18 packs or whatever, the loose packs isn't as satisfying oh, or like definitely not value add as a booster box. Um, and like, because the CP really is more top heavy, like I would rather honestly just go home with the top 256 CP and feel like rested and comfortable and be able to do something else on my second day, play inside events maybe, than like play my heart out to go like four two and you know get top one twenty eight CP anyway, <laughs> you know, or top yeah. sixty four CP or what have you. So like that was my logic is I would rather just like wrap up my tournament there, 
or put myself in a good spot to to make top eight. So I'm well, sitting down. Um, yeah. And I honestly, I thought that more people at a tournament this large would feel the same. You know, if you're at like a really small regional where there's like 60 people going into day two, maybe you could make that argument that, yeah, I'll ID because I still have a decent shot. But I really thought that more people would sort of be bought into my train of thought here. Uh, but I sat down and I was the only, I was shuffling my cards and everyone else was like ready to ID. You know, they were sitting down at the table immediately asking to ID and doing it. Um, my opponent shows up, Christian Moreno. He asked if I want to ID. I tell him, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm shuffling my cards. So it's kind of like already obvious in my body language, like what <laughs> I'm planning to do here. Um, and we sit down and play. Um, he is playing Arceus Draladon, which I wasn't too, too worried about. And that ended up being a fair assumption. I did end up winning that series. I did lose a game, um, but did end up fairly handily winning the series. Um, it was kind of interesting too. There were people that were like sort of sitting at their tables after they drew. And it seemed like there was like a sentiment that I was doing something like wrong or bad manners yeah. from yeah. people around me. I heard people like whispering about how like, oh, that's like super rude. That's like such a bad thing to do, like to not take the ID and like force your opponent to play. And, sorry, a little clicking noise. Um, and I'm like, oh, I, I didn't really like, respond to it in the moment, but I just thought that was so bizarre. Um, yeah, first use, off, your pl use your platform now to call it out. Yeah, I, I don't know who these people were, <laughs> you know, and I get it. Like, I get that people want to make yeah. day two. Um, but first and foremost, like, well, anybody has a right to play any given round. Like, that, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> like, true. If and I anyone... want to play Pokemon, like, I'm going to play some freaking Pokemon. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I paid $70 to do this. So well, me... true. And, and I mean, and too, like, I think also there's, we just talked about it. There's really no benefit in and of itself of getting to day two, right? Like, yeah, that is not, if for like, for some people, that is a big deal, right? And like, that is kind of, would make or break a tournament no matter how they do in day two. But for players like you and I, we're not really all that interested in making day two in and of itself. Like it's nice. It's fine. Like it maybe makes you feel a little bit better than whiffing, but at the same time, we're only going to these tournaments with the end goal to win them. So right. if you're going in with that in mind, then at no point should you really be considering the ID in the last round in that situation. And here's, I guess, um, sort of the culmination of, I guess, that thought process is something I told to several different people throughout the weekend who sort of asked about it. Um, as, and it was funny because, like, there were dozens and dozens of people around me who I'd even immediately got up and left. Um, I think only two tables at six and two played, me and one other. Um, but what I told people was, hey, you know, this is a, this is not a nine round tournament. This is a 15 round tournament. Um, right. Just because you don't play in the last six rounds doesn't mean it's just a nine-round tournament. And I, you wouldn't catch me dead IDing in round ten. You wouldn't catch me dead IDing in round one. You know, round three, unless I was like against a friend or something. So, are there situations where you may ID in that situation? Yeah, like if I know I'm against an auto loss, for example, and I just have no shot at winning, and my opponent offers the ID, like yeah, I'll take it. If I am against like one of my really good friends and we both just want to make day two to increase the aggregate group participation like sure maybe i'll id in that situation but otherwise like it i would apply it the same logic i would any other round and 
I can tell you for sure I would not be IDing in round 10. So why would I ID in round nine? Right. I think viewing the entire tournament as very holistic um, is something that more players should adopt because it had ramifications. I mean, Riley, you don't make top eight with your day two record if you ID in that last round of day one. Correct. So that, I mean, that's like, this is a prime and I was five example. <laughs> yeah. And you were five, you were five, one in day two. And it, you might've even, you know, without taking that extra win in day one, you might not have even gotten top 16. Yeah. You know, if I mean, it's very real. You were probably like, there was a chance I don't make top 16 at five, one. Yeah. It, it, it's absurd. I mean, these tournaments are so large that we need to stop holding up day twos as being a, I, I mean, they're, they're in a comp, like, I don't want to like belittle anyone like, oh, you made day two. Like that's nothing, but just, <laughs> we need to stop holding them up as like, ah, I made day two. That is, you know, that was the goal. Like, no, like maybe you set yourself a little bit higher. Like maybe, maybe try to win one of these tournaments sometime, you know, and, and really go for it. And if you're going to win these tournaments, you're going to have to go through, you know, the muck and the grime of winning matchups that you might not otherwise, or winning rounds that, you know, you really need to win, AKA the ninth round to get into day two. I think a lot more players should try to be going for that. Try to be accruing those extra points and risk it a little bit to have a better shot at winning the tournament. Yeah, I'm fully with you. Um, I'm just, I'm actually looking at some of my recent tournament placements now. Um, I've been fortunate enough where I haven't actually been at the six, two tables very frequently, but I can tell you some of my like least satisfying tournament finishes from the last you know, four years that they've been doing this have been the ones where I've ID'd. You know, I'm, I have like one or two matches where I ID'd. Um, and those are the ones where I finished like outside of top 32 or I bubbled out of top 16. Um, those aren't finishes I'm like nearly as proud of as the ones where I entered in with more match points and was able to take it farther. Totally. Um, it I mean, makes we, a huge difference. We look at the top eight from Dallas, from Arlington. And I think seven of those eight players were not 6-2-1, right? I think Jacob I was the sole player to make it through from a 6-2-1 day one record. And I think like that again is like another, uh, you know, speaks that into truth and just saying, it's always going to be better to have more wins heading into day two. Especially in this meta, especially with the decks that, you know, are being played where it's like, you know, these matchups are kind of 50-50, you know, Lugia Mirror is going to be just really rough and you're probably going to play a lot of those. I mean, the, the matchups, it's harder at this point, I feel like, with, with the quality of player, the quality of deck list, it's harder to just say, oh yeah, you know, at least getting to day two, I know I'll have a really good shot because my deck is better than everyone else's. You know, maybe you could say that if you're playing like Alex Kreckler's Vikavolt deck, but for the most part... The players that made top eight all had those extra wins, be it eight and one, seven and two, seven, one, one, something like that. They they had those extra points. And I felt like that was really important playing Lugia as well, in particular, because you were likely to hit many Lugias right in the second day. Absolutely. So, like you don't really want in a mirror like Lugia, you don't want to bank on winning every single round against that mirror to just make to make top eight, right? So yeah. You know, I, I end up making day two. 
Um, I play Mew right away in day two, so Drapion paying dividends. <laughs> he overall accrued me like nine to 12 match points over the course of the tournament, which was insane, insane. value. You know, when I talk about techs, I'm like, yeah, you know, if they can give me like six match points, I'm feeling pretty good about a tech. <laughs> and then Drapion like cleared that 10 times over. So uh, that was awesome. Um, I played two Lugios in day two. Um, I beat one and lost to the other. I played a Regigigas, was really happy I had Manaphy and Dunsparce. They really couldn't beat me once I started taking prizes. Um, and then I played a Lost Box Kyogre deck, the um, Azul Garcia Griego, Caleb Gedimer deck piloted by Isaiah Williams, a fun kind of reunion of our previous time together in Dallas. Uh, and I did end up beating him 2-0. Um, it actually felt like the Lugia deck was pretty well in control if you play it properly. Mm -hmm. um, and round 15 was a real heartbreaker. Um, Andrew Mahone and I got paired against each other. Andrew actually got down paired into me. Uh, we were talking a lot about like who Andrew might play and being down paired wasn't even part of the conversation <laughs> that we were having. Uh, so all of us were very surprised and disappointed at, at that happening. Cause well, it was, it was a really exciting round 15 before it started because Riley, yeah, we you were at, changed. you were at 33 points. Andrew was at 34 points. So there was a chance Andrew could get, you know, paired with someone of equal or higher point total and be able to potentially ID depending on how many players there were, you know, at that 35 points. So we were thinking, okay, Riley has a winning in, Andrew has a potential to ID and, you know, a win, he could just win outright and, and be in the top cut. So we were like very excited that we could have two of the boys in top eight. Yeah. And Andrew had really good resistance as well, which made it uh, like an ID of viable option for him, even if not all 35s made it. So it was just, it was really disappointing that we ended up playing each other because you never really want to uh, have one of your players not or like be in this situation, right? You don't want to knock your friends out of top eight contention. Yeah. You know, I'll knock I'll knock Andrew out of the finals any day of the week. You know, I don't mind that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, top eight like contention that really sucks. Uh, Andrew and I were both like really bummed about the situation. Honestly, it was it was just really sucky. Um, Andrew ended up scooping so he could catch his flight without adjusting. Uh, he was guaranteed to make top 16, so I uh, ended up working out for him pretty well in the end. But obviously, we both wanted to make top eight, so that was a real heartbreaker. Um, and kudos to Andrew for, for doing that for me. Um, so 36 match points going into top eight. I was the fifth seat at 36 <laughs> match points. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> what the heck yeah. these tournaments are crazy now yeah you 13 uh, and 3 <laughs> and you had 12 and 3 or excuse me 12 and 3 and you had four players with more points than that that's <laughs> absurd it was truly wild um so i go into top 8 i'm feeling pretty good i'm i know i'm like likely to play at lugia mirror i knew i was very likely going to dodge um, Alex Kreckler, which felt good. <laughs> um, and I ended up hitting John Ang. Um, JW was the only person sort of left at the venue at this point. He's watching my stuff. I disappear for maybe like 10, 15 minutes <laughs> when I come back. <laughs> well, you did. I knew immediately because you did the fast walk. You know how you fast walk? 
Maybe yeah, you don't know you this. Lose, you got a fast lock. Yeah, yeah. You were just like we're zooming, and no you know, you, yeah, exactly. You had like the kind of like blank expression on your face, and I'm like, oh no, this did not go well. <laughs> so it was, it was just like comically bad. Um, and I think John Egg would say the same thing. Is so game one, I do win the coin flip, so I'm feeling really good actually. That's a huge deal. Um, game one, I have an atrocious starting hand. I have like a crap ton of energy. Um, so I end up having to discard like two of them to get an Archeops and discard one Archeops. Um, and then I, you know, research the following turn, or, or maybe it was Marnie. Actually, I might have even bricked off of, and that's what happened. John, Marnie, me, and I bricked yeah. as well. Uh, I was trying to get a Ranger turn one, but I think it was prized. Um, and so now I'm like with a real daughters in hand, I have to sacrifice even more energy to get like a one Archeops in play. <laughs> uh, a turn late, John has already taken two prizes now. Uh, I get one Archeops in a play. And I I just end up like scooping shortly after that because there was nothing to do anymore. <laughs> I had one Archeops, I was down like four prizes. Um, and I also prized five energy. <laughs> so, mm. And the five energy were not going to be in like the two prizes I was going to take on his Lugia. <laughs> they were like, they were going to take one of them, and then there's going to be still four energy prize that were right. going to be trapped there the rest of the game. Right. After discarding like seven of them over the course of the first two turns. <laughs> so Oof. that was just horrible. That was a bad game. Uh, and I'm like, okay, like clear, clear heart, clear mind. We're going to go into game two. We're going to feel good about it. Um, I get another like one Archeops and discard pile situation. I Ultra Ball to grab my Lukia V Star. I'm searching through my deck, and it seems like suspiciously empty of Lukia V Stars. <laughs> so I search through my deck again, you know, just to make sure that like I'm on the same page. Maybe one more time, just to be a hundred percent sure. And I look up at John and I tell him, "All right, good luck in top four. <laughs> and wrap up." <laughs> So bad. Yeah. Um, so uh yeah, I prize both Lugia V Star and and maybe more than any other like V Star based deck in the format. Like Lugia can't function without yeah. V Star. Right. You know, you need it to make the deck work at all. Yeah. So I was literally done in like 10 minutes. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, we did, we did go a little bit risky. I mean, we did play two V star, right? So like that needs to be said, that needs to be, um, you know, let our listeners know that we, we were a little bit on the riskier side playing a four, two line of Lugia, but you just never expect it to happen like that in a top eight match. <laughs> where... Yeah. All my matches, the top eight one. And I, you know, looking at just quickly, uh, looks like actually every single top eight Lugia did opt for the two V stars. So we weren't alone in that thought process, but it does introduce that risk. It's about a one in a hundred chance of prizing both. Yeah. But, uh, you know, someone had to do it. <laughs> so it was me. <laughs> That's so rough. So... And then the worst part of all of it was we go to collect, you know, the prize they, they give me yeah. a couple booster boxes. And they tell me they've run out of top eight play mats, Dude. which to me is insane because you know exactly how many players are going to make top eight at the tournament. There's no question about it. So how did they run out of play mats? And the worst part of all of that is I was the only person who was not given a top eight play mat. I Damn. lost so quick. I was in a bad mood. And I was the only person they opted not to give a play mat. 
Dang. What the heck? How could you do that? That was insane. That is insane for sure. That's I, I was there. It was so sad to see that, you know, you're like, all right, I'll, you know, take my playmat. And they're like, actually, please write down your contact information so that we can mail you a top eight playmat. And you're like, oh, okay, that's not a big deal. The but then you see all the pictures with yeah, it wasn't the fact I didn't get one. It was the fact that I saw the other top eight players posting their deck lists on the top eight playmat. And I realized I was the only one who didn't get one. Dang. <laughs> like, spot the guy who lost in 10 minutes of playmat, you know? Yeah, seriously, it's the least, the, the least they could do. Oh, my God. That was crazy. Um, well, you'll get it in the mail, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> one day, I hope um but yeah you know it was a ultimately it was a it was a really fun tournament i'm i am happy with making top eight though i really wished you know we our friend group likes to joke it like doesn't exist unless you have the hardware to prove it i don't even have the, the software <laughs> the play mat. so <laughs> uh so, yeah, you so know, did it did it really happen i don't know it's, sure. it's debatable like if i ever made top eight at that point um but, you know, looking at sort of my 2022 in aggregate outside of the World Championship and um, and the ICs, I've really been crushing it in the regional game. So I'm yeah. feeling very confident right now. Um, and I'm feeling blessed to have been in that situation in the first place. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because coming from 3-2, man, you, you got to dig deep. You really got to dig deep, you know, being that close to being uh, eliminated so soon in the tournament and then to turn around like that is uh, quite the feat. So congratulations, Riley. Big accomplishment. Top eight, not uh, anything to scoff at. Obviously, we're looking for those wins, though. Looking for those wins and might just happen in San Diego. But yeah, before we talk about how the meta is going to shift from Arlington to San Diego, let's hear your card of the day, Riley. Absolutely. Uh, so for today's card of the day, I was originally looking at the Porygon Z with Crazy Code from Unbroken Bonds. I think we might have done this card before, but it was just a really fun card and it kind of harkens to Lugia V-Star Archaeops a little bit. Uh, but then I found another card from Unbroken Bonds that really caught my eye. Um, so JW, my hint for this card, I won't read his Pokedex entry, but my hint for this card is... It's a Pokemon that very rarely gets like good multi-prize Pokemon, but very, very frequently gets good single prize copies of itself. It's a basic Pokemon. And it's colorless like Porygon. So it gets good basic copies of itself, but not good multi-prize. Yeah. So like was there a Snorlax in Unbroken Bonds? Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah, it is. Let's go! Uh, Snorlax is a card that's, like, way overrepresented in quality of, like, <laughs> the non-multi-prize yeah. Pokemon. Totally. Uh, so this Snorlax isn't amazing, but it's pretty good. Uh, so this is the lazy-eating Snorlax from Unbroken Bonds. Mm. It doesn't really have anything that noteworthy in its attack or its ability, but it has, perhaps one of the most amazing Snorlax arts I've ever seen. Uh, it's just this wonderful, plump, round Snorlax, very cartoonish, leaned up against a tree. It's got a Torchic on its head. It's got a couple Pikachus peeping around the tree that are also very plump and round. Uh, it's just such a, like, a pleasant card design. I remember when Unbroken Bonds was coming out and Natalie and I 
would talk all the time about how he loved this card. <laughs> it was just that guy. He was so nice. Um, so I just wanted, you know, Snorlax is kind of that guy. You know, there's the Gorman Dice Snorlax. There's the Lost Box Attacker Snorlax that Tord also played in his Lugia deck. Um, and all sorts of Snorlax, block Snorlax over the years that have been super good. Uh, this Snorlax was kind of in the mid-tier, I would say, of of sort of basic single prize Pokemon. It does a lot of damage to tag teams, but it's also really freaking cute. Like, it's so awesome. I love this card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cute, and that's going to be me after Christmas dinner. <laughs> yeah, I feel that for sure. He's just so nice. Lazy eating. Lazy, lazy eating. One thing that you can't be lazy about, though, at any point, is your grooming and that's why the friends at manscaped have sponsored this podcast yes that's right manscaped the premier premier the top shelf the top quality website and brand for all your man uh, your men's grooming needs so head on over to manscaped because we have a little bit of a you know little promo going on with them use code tag team at checkout you get 20 percent off plus free shipping you guys know that but we love their products we've been using them for a long time i don't know if there's a you know enough time to get your stuff in before christmas i mean you're probably listening to this on the 22nd and if you need things for christmas at this point i mean you're man that that's a tough spot to be in but <laughs> think about it for next year think about it for a birthday coming up or, or maybe even a belated christmas gift riley why don't you walk them through some of your favorite products yeah if you've been listening to tag team you know for a long time that my favorite product at manscaped is their boxer shorts i'm gonna actually talk about those more in just a second but i do want to call out some of the other things that i enjoy they're standard like lawnmower 4.0 is so so good it takes such good care of you down there i've yet to experience any sort of nicks and scratches and that is something i really appreciate when working with my delicate parts they also have wonderful smelling shampoos and conditioners and body washes that i use every single day so i really do appreciate and value their products and if you've been following sort of the riley manscaped arc over the last year then you would know that Riley has worn his Manscaped boxers at every single regional championship over the past year, except for one. And you'll also note that Riley has top, or rather day two'd every single regional championship that he's been to over the last year, except for one. Mm. (laughs) And those are the same tournament in Toronto where I had a horrible run going two, two and two and dropping out. Um, I ran it back with the Manscapes in Arlington and had a top eight finish. So while this isn't necessarily a scientific analysis, the correlation is very strongly there. Manscaped adds power to your Pokemon play. So if that isn't a good sell, then I don't know what is. Head on over to manscaped.com. Use code tag team at checkout and level up your gameplay. Absolutely. Thank you so much to Manscaped for sponsoring the cast. Now let's talk about post Arlington. We've seen some really interesting decks come out of Arlington. I think uh, most notably the Vikavolt Archeops deck coming out of nowhere to surprise everyone. Or excuse me, the Aerodactyl. Yes, of course. I I kept doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the Beakavolt Aerodactyl. Thank you very much. Uh, come out of nowhere to uh, you know swoop in and take second place. I think very arguable that it probably should have won the entire tournament, but that's why you play the game. So Alex Kreckler coming up with a crazy rogue that almost steals the Arlington Regional Championships. Going into the next tournament, which is San Diego, in a couple of weeks, how do we think the meta is going to shift? I mean, do you think, Riley, that Aerodactyl Vikavolt has staying power in the meta, or is it a one-hit wonder, kind of like the uh, paralyzing decks, the the era, uh, the um, Articuno water emergency jelly decks that we saw in Toronto pop up that really fell off the face of the earth for Arlington. Do you think Aerodactyl Vikavolt is going to be a part of the meta moving forward? I think it's much more likely that Aerodactyl Vikavolt stays a contender uh, for multiple reasons. I think when it comes down to it, status conditions are always going to be more gimmicky than sort of more straightforward, reliable strategies. Um, I think it's very unlikely that a status condition focused deck will be fully disrespected by Lugia ever again. Um, so I don't think that that's really a something that will repeat itself frequently. You know, maybe you'll see smatterings here and there, but not anything like Toronto again. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, the Aerodactyl G or Aerodactyl V Star rather is incredibly, incredibly strong versus Lugia. We've talked a lot. Um, when we were talking about JW's run, about how dangerous cards like Weezing are for Lugia to deal with. Lugia fundamentally relies on its V-Star power to even play the game, you know, hence my very swift loss in top eight. So when you remove from them the ability to actually use their V-Star power, it becomes very, very difficult to win the game. Uh, and there's not really good ways to get around the Aerodactyl either. Um, we did say see a couple players playing copies of Canceling Cologne in their Lugia deck, but you have to get the Lugia or the Aerodactyl rather back into the active to get that to work. Uh, so you also need to pair it with a Boss or a Serena because uh, typically, the, or they have to use it the very first turn that the Aerodactyl attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, none of which is like really what you're trying to do, um, especially if the if the vehicle is going to be, or sorry, the Aerodactyl is going to be paired with a card like a Marnie. Um, yeah. And Lugia just is, it's not very good at drawing like the singleton cards out of its deck. You know, I had a lot of games where I was playing like one or two supporters the whole game, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm not drawing a lot of cards when you're playing Lugia. Um, so I think Aerodactyl is very, very strong. Um, over Andrew and I's tournaments runs, we had only ever lost to two things. Uh, I have lost to the Aerodactyl deck, and I lost to Lugia Mirrors, and Andrew only ever lost to Lugia Mirrors. Mm-hmm. So I think that says something uh, in of itself. And the Vikavolt strategy, I think, is a little bit stronger than the pure Arceus, like sort of control strategy, because the Vikavolt offers you a way to get like a stun for a turn if you mm-hmm. go second. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if they play Dunsparce, you don't necessarily need to hit for weakness. You just need to stun them for a turn. Uh, it's really hard going first to like fully set up your hand and discard pile to the point where you're not reliant on items. Um, and Vikavolt sort of capitalizes on that heavily, especially if you can pair it with, um, you know, a Marnie, the turn that you're, you use the Aerodactyl. Sure. Um, 
so I think it's it's a really strong strategy. Um, and I won't be surprised to see it going forward. I think another good selling point is Bugle is very, very strong against Lost Fox decks. Right. Um, right. You know, Absolutely. that card just really runs through Lost Fox like it's nothing. Um, so that's like another matchup you can just kind of just put away. And if you can get the Aerodactyl up safely, then you're really cruising against Mew. Uh, yeah. It can be difficult mm -hmm. to do that, um, but if you are able to accomplish that, then Mew is, is very certainly going to have a, a difficult time winning that game. Yeah, what would you say is the worst matchup for the Vikavolt Aerodactyl deck? Um, I think it's more like anything outside of those three can get mm -hmm. awkward, right? Because you don't really know <laughs> what's going on there. You know, I, if you play like an Arceus deck, for example, right. Right. that can just run through you, you know, think an Arceus Duraludon sort of deck would pretty much destroy you. Um, I think that's probably going to be your single worst matchup would be sort of an Arceus Duraludon deck. But outside of that, like, I think you have a lot of, of really positive matchups. I think the other enemy of the deck is just sort of itself, um, you know, which is exactly what happened to Alex <laughs> in the finals mm -hmm. where these sort of like vehicle strategies have never been a hundred percent reliable, right? You do have to rely on Melanie turn one as your supporter, yeah. uh, going second, uh, going first, that's not as much of a problem, but going second, you do have to rely on Melanie turn one, which is not a great draw supporter. Um, so sure. I think those are like the two main weaknesses, but when, if you look at sort of a focused field of Lugia, Mew, and Lost Box, which I think you would be very fair for considering that as sort of the main core field, um, you have a lot of good matchups. And even yeah. then, like, Alex really put on a good show against the Reggie deck in top eight um, because it's really difficult for them to play the game without um, without items. So, yeah, amazing. Shocker. Item lock is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, item lock has historically been one of the best strategies in Pokemon. So um, huge shout out to Alex for kind of finding that hole in the metagame. This feels like a much more reliable, like, real counter to Lugia than anything yeah. that we've seen so far. Yeah, because we saw from a couple of players, the Articuno kind of water emergency jelly strategy where they would paralyze in the Lugia matchup. And since Lugia at that point wasn't playing any switch cards, that was a pretty much a loss because you could control how damage was placed if you had like an Inteleon or something. Now, fast forward to Arlington, players are getting wiser to that strategy. You're seeing a little bit more Bird Keeper. You're seeing maybe Bird Keeper and Eldegoss. I certainly saw a number of players playing the Espeon tech. So uh, by and large, the Paralyzed strategy was that one hit wonder because lists and players had adjusted to it. The item lock... I mean, there's really not anything you can do to counter item lock. I mean, it's just going to happen to you, right? So uh, that's a, like you said, a much more, um, oh, you know, a strategy that has a lot more longevity and a lot more viability past this one tournament. So I guess then if if we're thinking that Aerodactyl Vikavolt will be a deck that players will play, how do you think in general the meta shifts um, to... Maybe not counter that, but for just to like adjust for that new addition to the meta. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's really difficult for Lugia to actually answer Aerodactyl. Um, you could see players opting for things like canceling Cologne to try 
and get around it because realistically against many of these uh, Aerodactyl decks, if you're able to get your V-Star power up, you will often win the game, which is what happened mm -hmm. with Connor Fenton in the finals where he was able to get the V-Star power up in both games and kind of cruise from there. Mm -hmm. So you may see players opt to go for the strategy that Liam and Cal Connor did with um, with the canceling colognes in their deck. Um, on aggregate, you may see a rise of some more like rogue-ish type of strategies. You know, people might opt to try out Blissey, for example, because that deck cannot get around like a mill tank in the active. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or Arceus Duraladon may see more play as sort of a deck that has decent matchups across all of the top decks that we've been talking about, except for Mew. Um, so when I think of like the metagame shifting, I don't think I don't think it will really deter people from playing Lugia in aggregate. I think it will still be the most popular deck at any given tournament. Um, but you may see a rise in some of those more rogue strategies like Arceus, Duraladon, and Blissey as sort of... Well, like that, that's actually really interesting, though, that you say that. Because what if you just put one mill tank into a Lugia deck? It's true. And that's something actually you had talked about like forever ago, I feel Yeah, like. yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Now that I think about it, that might be kind of the the answer. The Maybe Aerodactyl Vikavolt, yeah, is not the silver bullet that I initially was thinking because I was like, wow, so good. You got the Aerodactyl to shut off the ability. You got the Vikavolt to just turn off all their items, but... Yeah, maybe one mill tank. You know, it, certainly if you're the Aerodactyl Vikavolt player, now you have to consider that, you know, what are the possible counter strategies to what I'm trying to do? Mill tank seems like, you know, a really simple answer, much like we had a Drapion in our Lugia list. You know, you could just switch that out for a mill tank um, and, and maybe have a solid matchup, at least against the Aerodactyl Vikavolt list that Alex piloted. Now, of course, you could do some other things. You could play some other cards in there to maybe get around a mill tank but at a certain yeah, point there's only so much you can do right yeah and, and these melanie decks you know tend to struggle versus mill tank right because because melanie only can't really power playing. up yeah melanie can't power up non uh two prizes non-multi prizes yeah so i don't know maybe that's something worth exploring as sort of like ramping up mill tank play uh, mill tank's also just kind of a good card in general obviously um, it's not super good versus lugia but Against like every other V based tech, it can <laughs> come in clutch. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a fair point. I didn't even really think about that myself. I feel like super early on, that's something you post in the Discord. It's like, what if we played a mill tech? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely did do that for sure. <laughs> that's like a very JW thing to say. Yeah, and then I, I got immediately laughed at, made fun of, probably. You're a fool and a buffoon, and everyone. Yeah, hates that's you. true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely that last part for sure. So, <laughs> all right, Aerodactyl Vikavolt Mill Tank. Um, what else about the meta? Like, do you see in San Diego just roughly the same split of decks um, with Lugia kind of dominating that top spot at about thirty percent, and then everything else kind of fighting for the scraps that are on maybe. 15, 10, 5 percent. You know, you look at Mew being about 10 to 15 percent of the field. Do you feel like that still holds up? I think so. I think if anything, Mew stocks go up going into San Diego, uh, at least at this point in time, I say that uh, because Mew really suffered from the collateral damage of the format, right? Where people were 
trying out cheesy path strategies to beat Lugia. People were playing Drapion to beat Stahl. Um, and I think a lot of those will start to uh, sort of disperse, which gives Mew a little bit more breathing room to just do its thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Mew maybe will be a little bit better, uh, probably a relatively similar play rate, but probably a better deck going into San Diego than it was into Arlington. Uh, I think Lugia will, will maintain its spot. You know, I think it's very convincing that there were multiple high-level tournaments this past weekend, and both of them had five out of eight spots as Lugia. You know, you can't really deny that as sort of speaking of Lugia's power, even if the meta sort of shifted to favor Lugia. Um, that still is like a very strong statement, in my opinion. So I think Lugia sort of maintains its spot. Um, and more than likely, what you'll see is sort of a, a shuffling of those miscellaneous decks that have that like five, six percent meta share. Um, you know, you might see the Duraludons go up and the Lost Foxes go down, for example. Um, to you know accommodate what we're seeing coming out of um arlington yeah absolutely anything else you want to talk about in terms of the shifting of the format i know that i am not going to be able to go to san diego i know you are planning on going i mean if you can get a <laughs> ticket let's see how tomorrow's round of registration goes <laughs> yes yes it's been quite the struggle for riley to register for the tournament but uh, we hope that he is able to go because you know going to san diego in january not a bad place to be <laughs> you're telling me man so yeah so i'm excited for san diego i mean ultimately i don't think i think the silver tempest format has not defined itself but i think the core of the silver tempest has defined itself mm -hmm. and it's really more about sort of what is the blossoming strategy any given weekend within that um you know, like Stahl had a chance to blossom in Toronto and Vicable had a chance to blossom in, in Arlington. But across both of those tournaments, you had very similar core metagames with Lukia and Lost Box and Mew. Um, and I think that'll maintain itself throughout the entirety of uh, Silver Tempest. Well, we are going to be working hard to come up with something good, even though, you know, again, I'm not going. I got to support the boys, so we're going to come up with something good for san diego this is going to be though our last episode before that tournament so we just want to wish everyone that's listening a merry christmas a happy new year thank you so much for making 2022 so special for us really just want to um, emphasize you know i feel like we do this every time we go to a tournament but it's been great to meet a lot of you that listen to the cast that enjoy the cast that you know, or listening to it on their way to work or maybe listening to it at work or maybe just listening to it during their leisure time. So thank you guys so much for being there for us and for letting us know that you enjoy Tag Team. Absolutely. Your support means everything to us. And it's so awesome to see you all at, at the tournaments. It's just a really, you know, wonderful experience as a content creator to get to meet people who hopefully you've had a positive impact on. So... Um, shout out to you all, and I hope everybody listening to this has a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Holiday Season for whatever you may celebrate at this time of year. 
Absolutely. So you can find us over on social media, Twitter, at Real John Walter for me, at Smiles with Riles for Riley, and at Tag Team Pokemon for the podcast. You can also find us live every Wednesday at twitch.tv slash Munner. And I myself also stream over at twitch.tv slash Flex Daddy Righteous. Thank you guys so much once again for a fantastic year of Tag Team. Can't wait to be back in a couple of weeks. Catch you all in 2023. Peace. See ya.